series of recovering redemption. And uh, basically, when we were what we looked at is that this world is broken. I mean, it is messed up. Uh, sin has in, invaded uh, our lives and has broken everything that is. Uh, it's, creation is not the way. The world that we live in is not the way that God created uh, or intended it to be. And so, the world we live in is broken. It's a broken place. And to fix the brokenness, we all know this. I mean, inherently, we know this. Whether you're a, a believer, a follower of Christ or not, inherently, you know that there's something that's broken in this world. And we try to look, try to fix it in all different kinds of places we found out last week. We look at, we, we try to fix what's broken by looking inside of ourselves. And we think a better me, a better, you know, more uh, physically fit me is going to fix the problems that I deal with. Or maybe if I'll just look inside myself and find calmness, find a calm place uh, to land, you know, I, I get rid of distractions, then uh, that will, uh, the, the fewer distractions in my life will fix what's broken in the world. We also, and there's hundreds of places that we look, we just looked at three. Another place we looked at was the government. If, I think, if we just pick the right person, they're going to make everything right in this world. Uh, we know that's not true at all. I mean, every four years, we're disillusioned to think that that may actually happen. Um, then, also, uh, where else do we look? Religion. Religion. If, if I just will, will follow a moral code, or, or in the world that we live in, even now, if we just get rid of people that don't believe like I believe, then all the, the bad things of this world, we'll, we'll just get rid of the impurities, and then everybody will believe the same moral code. And we've had tyrants that have ruled that have believed that and, and tried to get rid of entire races of people. And we know that's not the case either. Nothing this world has to offer. I was talking to the teenagers on Wednesday night, and they said they one of the things they came up with is that we just try to numb ourselves from it. Just let's just take pills or or put things into our body that numbs us. We'll just pretend it doesn't exist, that the brokenness isn't there. Thought that was a good insight. That they had. I mean, we try to fill what's broken in this world. What we all inherently know is broken. Relationships, the world. We try to fill it. Fix it. With all kinds of things. This world has to offer. And what we found out is that nothing this world has to offer fixes what's broken. I mean, we are sunk. We don't have a chance. There's nothing this world has to offer that can fix What's broken. And that's where we landed last week. Good news, huh? Actually, it was the bad news that we looked at. And the reason we said that was so important is because the bad news, understanding the bad news, leads in or, or allows good news to be all the better, all the more glorious. Remember the example we gave. A person goes to, finds out there's a mask. They go to the doctor. doctor sends them to get a biopsy. The biopsy comes back. He finds out, the, the patient finds out that the biopsy is negative. That's good news. Why was that good news? Because bad news was there. And different news, good news, invaded the bad space. So this morning, I want to offer you, under the authority of Scripture, the good news that invades the bad news that we looked at. The very real news, but yet bad news that existed, that we talked about. 
last week. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 5. This very well may be my favorite uh, chapter of the Bible. I love this chapter. And you'll see why in the very first phrase. Why I love this so much. This is the good news. This is where the Bible, the, the, the Bible redeems, recaptures what has been lost and what was lost at the Garden of Eden. This is where the good news takes the place of the bad news. In all, in everybody's life that will believe it, that will have faith in it and claim it. Romans chapter 5. This is where God has orchestrated events to bring back, to recapture what was lost in the garden. Romans chapter 5 says this in verse 6. For while we were still weak. I love that. It says while we were still weak. Our culture hates weakness. I mean we don't want to show. We have entire brands that, that, that are marketed on this idea of not being weak. We hate weakness in our culture. In, in fact, even, even believers, those who know Christ, who, who have studied God's word, have bought into this lie that, that, that weakness is a bad thing. Have you ever heard this phrase? God helps those who help themselves. And there's nothing further from the truth. It's not taught anywhere in scripture. In fact, he helps those who are not strong enough to help themselves. God loves weakness. And so that kind of sets the groundwork for everything that we're about to read. Because we're weak. We have looked for thousands of years as a human race. We have looked for ways to fix what is broken. We have come up sorely lacking. We cannot find help anywhere in this world. And so we're weak. We can't help ourselves. We are sunk. We are weak. And it says... When you were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It was for the weak who could not help themselves. That God, from the beginning of creation, was orchestrating events all throughout time that would lead us to the time that Jesus would enter this earth. All of the, all the events of history up until this point were orchestrated in such a way so that Jesus would show up on the scene at just the right time at just the right time to help the weak and the ungodly. That word ungodly it, it literally means that there's not just some you're not just a good person who does bad things. That word ungodly literally means that you are a bad person who does good things every once in a while. I mean, at the core of your being, in your DNA, in your marrow, you are opposed to God. You are at war with Him. I tried to explain this last hour, and I'm not sure that I did a very good job. But here's what the Bible is saying. You are an enemy. You are in, you are in battle. You are opposed to the God of the universe. And it was in that setting, it was in that condition... That God showed up at just the right time and died for those who were opposed to him. Let that sink in. I mean, you were at war with the God of the universe. You did not want anything to do with him. You wanted to do battle against him. 
And he orchestrated events to fix just that at exactly the right time. It continues in verse 7. For, and then he kind of, Paul starts to make this argument to prove just how bad you and I are. It says this, for one will scarcely die for a righteous man, although perhaps for a good person one may even dare to die. So if there's a good person, one, you may be able to find somebody who would die for that person. But, verse 8, God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, not good people doing a little bit of sin, but while you were still opposed to God, at the core of your being, fighting, warring against the God of the universe, a sinner, Christ died for us to fix what we could not fix ourselves. And I mean, we've heard this over and over and over again. I was thinking about this in between uh, the services. This is not new news to us. It, it, I hope it's still good news. But it's not new news to us. I mean, we've heard this from the time, many of us, from the time we were kids. It's just like, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. I understand, I've heard that before. Same verse, I mean, same song, second verse. I get the whole thing. But let that sink in for a minute. I don't care if you have been drugged to church since nine months before you were born. The Bible says that you still were an enemy opposed, warring against, battling against, at the core of your being, against the God of the universe. And it was in that condition that God set in motion events to save you. He continues in verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is a, Paul's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. He says the greatest thing that happens when you uh, accept Christ, when you know Christ, when you understand that he died for you, the greatest thing is that you've been justified, you've been made right. You've been covered by the blood, and now your sins are held against you no more. You can have a right relationship, reconciled to God. That's the greater. The lesser is that you are saved from wrath. In Sunday school, we get those inverted, right? I mean, you tell a six-year-old, five-year-old, hey, if you accept Christ, you don't have to go to hell. Like, well, that's an easy decision. I mean, that doesn't take much thought. But the, but the Bible says, under the, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says the greatest thing is you have a right relationship with God. And then the lesser is that you're, you don't have to face His wrath. It continues in verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Here's what this is saying. I don't know about you, but there are days that I feel unworthy. And I know I am. I mean, if we want to get into a theological debate, you can sit there and go, dude, you are unworthy. I get that. I understand that. But in my mind, there are days I go, God, you know the sin that I've committed in my past. You know what I think about. You know, you know all the, the bad things that I've done. How in the world could you say, I'm just not worth it. I'm not worthy. 
I mean, my sin stretches a mile. And what this verse is saying is go to your worst day, Scott. Go to the day when you didn't do anything right. When you made enemies at every turn. When you sin at every possibility. Go to your worst possible day. And it was on that day that God still loved you and saved you. Your sin may stretch a mile, but the blood of Christ stretches even further. Your, your sin may go a mile deep, but the blood of Christ goes even deeper. On your worst day, your worst day, when you, you didn't care about God, when you didn't care about His, his Word, when you, you didn't care about His statutes, when you didn't care about His love, when you didn't care about His grace, it was on that very day that He showed up and He saved you. And I don't care what the sin was. His grace abounds even more. You were an enemy, the Bible says. And He loved you even still. Verse 11. Now more, or more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. You've been reconciled. A relationship that was broken has now been mended, put back together. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, the death and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned. 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but the sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who, or who, was a type of the one who was to come. I know this is confusing. Give me a second. Verse 15, and I'll explain. But the gift, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if any man, or for if many died through one man's trespass, much uh, more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Let me just make it simple. Here's what he's saying. Adam showed up and he messed it all up. He didn't just mess it up for himself. He messed it up for all those who would come behind him. Everybody who's from the seed of Adam. That includes you and that includes me. We were born into sin. We were born into a broken relationship with God. Now, before you go ahead and have a pity party and say, well, what, that's not fair. Remember Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So not only did you receive a sin nature from Adam, but you received it gladly. And then you were an active participant in the sin as well. You decided, you know what? Sin is, it seems like a good thing to me. So I'm going to be an active participant in sinning against, in warring against the God of the universe. And so when Adam showed up on the scene, and you showed up after, as the seed of Adam, warring against God, you were infected and affected by sin in a broken relationship with God the Father. But, Paul says, Jesus showed up on the scene after him. And where, his, where sin, uh, Adam's sin abounded, the grace that Jesus offered through the death and the burial and the resurrection of himself, the, the, the grace that he offers goes even further, abounds even more, is even stronger. What Adam met, messed up, 
Jesus fixed. That is good news. Verse 17, 16, excuse me. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, brought death, brought brokenness, brought all the things that we've been looking at. Bad news. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You've been made right. And that's the good news. This morning, as I was finishing up studying, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate what this truth teaches. And I remember a story that my dad had told me when I was younger. We lived in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My dad was on staff at a church there. And one of the things that he would do, uh, one of the things he really enjoyed doing, is that he, he, he participated in Bill Glass Ministries. And I don't even know if that's around. If, so, if they've done something bad, I'm not endorsing it, please. None of that. I'm just, that's, that's what he was a part of. And what Bill Glass Ministries did, kind of their ministry, was to go into state penitentiaries and minister to the inmates there. So they gather men together. Uh, our, our, I was in karate. I know I look like I was a karate guy, but um, I was in karate for a time. Our, our sensei, real terms there, I was in it, um, was a part of this, and he would go do demonstrations for the inmates. And so my dad joined him and would go to different prisons with him. And um, they went down to Texas, Louisiana, there in Oklahoma, different states, different state penitentiaries. Well, this particular weekend, they went to Indiana, to their maximum security prison in the state of Indiana. There were 12 of them. I remember my dad left one Friday afternoon. They drove late into the night, found a place to stay, got up early in the morning, and then drove on in to the maximum security prison there in Indiana. They uh, showed up at the, at the prison, went through security, and then they were waiting in an office building for the warden. The warden came to them and said, there's 12 of you this morning. I need 10 to go into... The, the, the population you know, prison, where the average inmate goes. I need 10 of you to go in there, set up, we're going to have a worship service, you know, the demonstrations, and, and, and just spend the day, spend the morning ministering and, and hanging out with the inmates. But two people, if you'd like, can go to death row. Do I have any volunteers? Well, there were two people that raised their hand. My dad was not one of them. He went in with the 10 people to the general population to hang out with the regular prisoners for the morning. Well, the two men, the way I understand the story, the way it was portrayed to me, conveyed to me, the two men went to the area of the prison where the maximum security, I mean where the, the, the death row inmates were held. They would stand at the door and the jailer swung the door open. And, and, and when you walk in, to the left was a concrete wall, no windows at all. Just a concrete wall to stare at for these prisoners. On the right were the cells. And there were about eight, eight or nine of them. Six, seven, eight, nine of them. I don't know exactly that. Nobody ever told me. But I know there were a handful of cells there. And people, prisoners in there, had committed the most heinous crimes in our culture, in our society. In the state of Indiana, for sure. They were being held there. Well, these two men... Door swung open. Two, two of these men walked in. The first guy walked in. 
and sat down uh, you know, in, the, in the prison cell of this, of this inmate. The second guy walked into the second cell, and then you know, the, the jail swung open, the cell swung open. He walked in, jail cell uh, shut behind him. The, the guy that entered the second jail cell, okay, you follow me, you're tracking with me, I'm trying to set up the story still. Sorry, it's long, long. The guy in the second one kind of made his way down as the morning went on, made his way down death row, talking to the prisoners. The guy who went in the very first jail cell stayed in there all morning long. All morning long they stayed there. Sorry, Mary Jo's trying to get Excuse me, I'm let her let them leave and then I'll finish the story. That way I because I can't concentrate, I'm too simple minded. <laughs> um, he stayed in the jail cell all morning long. Well, the time came that they had to leave the prison. Their time was up. The jailer opened the door and said, Hey, time's up, come on out. The guy that had made his way down said, Okay, stepped out of the cell, walked out. The guy in the first jail cell that had been staying there all morning said, Can I have a few more minutes? The jailer said, No problem. A little while later, 10, 12 minutes later, he comes he comes back. He says, hey, time is up. Your team's waiting on you. He said, I need just a few more minutes. Please, a few more minutes. The jailer said, no problem. Shut the, shut the maximums or the, uh, the, the, the door that you know, sep- separated the, the uh, death row inmates from everybody else. He reported back that he needed a few more minutes. He came back and he said, hey, time is up. Your team is actually out of the prison now. I mean, they've gotten all of their equipment out. They put it away. They're waiting in the car for you. He said, I just need one more minute. You don't even have to go. I just need one more minute. He said, okay. So he stood there with the, with the door open while this man finished his conversation with the one man that he had spoken with and hung out with all morning long. After a minute, he came out of the jail cell and there were tears running down this man's face. And he got back to his crew, to the, to the team, to the, to the crew there that was, that was with Bill Glass Ministries. And tears were still running down this man's face. And they said, what in the world was going on in there? I mean, you needed an extra 45 minutes or even longer from all the rest of us. Tell us what was going on. The, the jailer was reporting back that you were in the same cell all morning with this one prisoner. What was going on? Tell us about it. And he said... There were two of us, two of us men. And you have to understand a little background. You see, I'm, I'm a judge of one of the highest courts in the state of Indiana. I, as far as the world is concerned, I'm a, I'm a powerful human being. And the man that I hung out with this morning is on, is on death row because of me. I'm the one who sent him there. He came before me several years ago. I still remember him. Came before my courtroom. The evidence was overwhelming, and I sent him to prison for life. Not only for life, but to die. And this morning, a white man and an African American man, a, a powerful man as far as this world's concerned, a man who has no rights, who many people would, would say does not even deserve to be alive anymore person with freedom and a person who seemingly has no freedom at all. A person who has their life ahead of them. A person whose life has already been mapped out. And this morning we worshipped. We reconciled. And we had a good time together. And it was all 
Because when this man came into prison, he met somebody who introduced, who introduced him to Christ. And now I can say with confidence, he is my brother. And if I don't ever see him again on this side of eternity, I'll see him on the other side. That is exactly what the gospel does. Not only on the other side of eternity, but on this side of eternity as well. It takes two people who seemingly have nothing in common. Two people who are one who's free and one who is going to spend the rest of their life in jail. One person who has all the power, another person who's there because of that one person. He can, the power of the gospel can bring those two together and can be reconciled. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the story of the Bible. Because you understand as drastic as that story is, as as seemingly impossible as that story is, you want to know a story that's seemingly even more impossible? That a God of the universe who loves, who would love a sinner like Scott Smith, would send his one and only son to die for his enemy. At war against the God of the universe. The God of the universe would do that for a sinner like me. That's an even more unseemly story. And yet on the authority of scripture, that's exactly the good news that you need and that I need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news, for the gospel. That you would die for a sinner like me. It's a story that I've heard so many times that I almost become numb to it. But I pray I'd never forget it. That I would remember the miracle that it is each and every day. You have reconciled our relationship when I was at war with you. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.